You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Um, I don't know if you were here in the last couple of weeks. Uh, today's message is titled Against the Odds. And in case you were wondering uh, if that was the title it is, because it's written up in those very, very big words up on the screen in front of you at the moment. If the word odds doesn't make any sense to you, if you're not a native English speaker, the word odds basically refers to the chances or the likelihood of something happening. That's what odds means. It's a term we use, it's a common term used in English speaking countries. We refer to the odds of something happening or not happening. For instance, there was a time when the odds were that I would never get a wife. There was a time that the odds were that Tom would grow his hair back. Well, unfortunately, that hasn't happened yet. Yes, yes. We're holding out in faith. That's what we're talking about today. You really love it. He wants to get back to Washington and everything like that. I want to talk to you today about Gideon. I know I've spoken about Gideon the last few times, and this is the last time I'm going to be speaking about him in this turn. I was looking at his story for the last few times. But I want to speak, talk to you specifically this morning. You know, no matter how comfortable your life is, no matter how easy your life is, no matter how you know, you're at ease and everything is going fine for your life, in every single life of every person I've ever met, there is an unresolved issue. There is a knot that they cannot untie. There's a problem that they cannot face. There's something that they cannot overcome or maybe they feel is about to overcome <coughs> It is to that situation I want to speak this morning. I'll go further and say it's to that situation that God wants to speak this morning and say to you that God is not only the God who does the improbable, He is the God who does the impossible. Amen. He does the impossible. And I know because I've experienced it in my own life. God does things that no man can do. I want to look this morning at God's word. May God bless us as we look at it. I want to drop down a small backdrop. I was speaking about Gideon. The Israelites got themselves into the height of trouble by their own hands. We always get into trouble by our own hands. They got themselves into trouble by, by their, the way they lived and the way they turned their back on God. And so God sent a nation called the Midianites to come. And that nation of the Midianites came and they devoured all of the crops, took the cattle, the sheep, took the donkeys and chased the, chased the um, Israelites effectively into destitution. They were completely destitute. They were broke. They were living in caves. They were hiding. But they cried out to God and God answered their prayer. And he sent them what in the Old Testament in the book of Judges is called a judge, which was like a leader, a king, or a general that would come and deliver them. And in this, case, in this occasion, he chose a guy called Gideon. Now, the Lord came to Gideon and visited him. The angel of the Lord came and visited him. And when he visited Gideon, he said to Gideon, Gideon, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And Gideon didn't know who the mighty hero that the angel was talking about because Gideon didn't feel like much of a mighty hero. In actual fact, Gideon was kind of hiding behind his couch because he was afraid of what might become of him. But the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to be the person who leads the Israelites to deliver the, to deliver the Israelites from the Midianites. And he said, I'm going to give you a couple of signs. He gave them some signs. We looked at that a few weeks ago. And then last time I was speaking about this, we were talking more or less, and we looked at Gideon's army. And I want to look at that just very briefly before we press in today's, in today's scriptures. 
When we look at being against the odds, we talked originally about how, how Gideon's, or the scripture talks about how Gideon's original army was 32,000 strong. But the army that he was up against was 135,000 strong. There was a big difference in the size of the armies. In fact, there was a difference of 4 to 1 approximately. So the odds of him winning was 4 to 1. For every one soldier he had, there were 4 soldiers fighting for the Midianites. And so already before Gideon even got out of the blocks, as they say, with his 32,000 men, he was really up against the odds. It was very unlikely that he was going to win this battle. But then something strange happened, and the Lord said to him, actually, Gideon, you have too many people. And he said, what? You have too many? We're already four to He says, actually, you've got too many. And the Lord sent 10,000 or 22,000 from home, I should say, and left him with just 10,000 men. And so with 10,000 men up against 135,000, the odds slipped. They went out to 13 and a half to 1. 13 and a half to 1. I don't know what that is in actual odds terms, but it's 13 and a half to 1. So for every 13 and a half Midianite soldiers, Gideon only had one. Now I've seen a lot of martial arts films with Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris and only Chuck Norris and Jackie Chan win with odds like this. Normal people don't win with odds like this. 13 guys against one guy, it was extremely unlikely that he would win. But then the Lord said to him, actually Gideon, you still got too many soldiers. I need to reduce the army even further. And so he takes this bunch of men, 10,000, and he reduces them down to just a mere 300 men, thus shifting the odds against the victory for Gideon to 450 to 1. If I was to say to you, if you cross McCurtain Street, it's 450 to 1 that you will get a belt of a bus, you'd probably take those odds, wouldn't you? You're going, yeah, but that's the chances. That's ridiculous odds. It's ridiculous the possibility that these 300 men would defeat these 135,000 men. And sometimes in our lives we face situations that if we were to look at them on the balance of probabilities, we could find ourselves in real difficulty. It's extremely unlikely that certain things will happen. And we can look at the probabilities and I want to talk about positive things happening in our lives. You might think, it's almost impossible for me to ever find the woman of my dreams. I'm still searching. And then Mary, do you know anything? If you're still searching for the word, actually I won't even go there, okay, moving swiftly on. But I want to tell you this, the thing about the odds is this, the odds only predict the outcome, they do not determine the outcome. And the outcome in your life is not determined by the odds, it is de it's determined by God. And if you look at the actual odds in the battle that we're about to face, it wasn't 4 to 1, it wasn't 13 and a half to 1, it wasn't even 450 to 1, the actual odds of Gideon's victory was 135,000 to 1. But the 1 was the Lord. And when the 1 is the Lord, you can forget about the 135,000 people who were up against him. Because he always wins his battles. And he always brings his victories through for his people. And that's the context in which I'm looking at. Gideon's army shrunk down to 300 men. And Gideon is afraid. And he's nervous. As he should be, as he ought to be, so ridiculously outnumbered, he's afraid. And God gives him a series of signs to remind him that he's with him. But of course he's facing, I mean, his life is on the line here. He might say, ah, you need to have faith, Gideon. Oh yeah, but what if it was your life? What if it was the life of your family? What if it was the life of your tribe and the life of your clan? What if that was what was actually on the line? Maybe you would be kind of nervous 
and afraid too. And that's where we pick up the story today. God has given him a number of signs, but he decides to offer him another sign. This is what it says in Judges chapter 7. If you're afraid to attack, the Lord said, go down to the camp and listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged, and then you will be eager to attack. So if you're still afraid, if you're still afraid to go down and attack, and he, you know the Lord didn't say to him, how dare you be afraid, Gideon? No, no, no. God took him exactly as he is. He took him exactly where he was at, just like he takes us exactly where we're at. He said, if you're still afraid, I want you to go down to the Midianite camp and listen to what the Midianites are saying. Do you know sometimes, if you listen to what the enemy is saying, you can see what he's afraid of, believe it or not. You know sometimes you've been in your lives, and I want to say this to you, sometimes we need to actually listen to what the enemy is saying or pay attention to the area in which he is tempting us. I love to referring to our enemy, the devil, or Satan. We need to listen to what he's drawing us into. You need to listen to what he's actually tempting you with. Because where your greatest weakness and your greatest temptation is, he knows that's where your greatest victory is too. And if you can overcome at that point of greatest weakness, God receives the glory and you become an overcomer in that area. And you gain strength and you gain faith. And you know for some people even who are inside in this hall today, inside here or upstairs or out there, I know that this week, some of you have had a very difficult week and you've been tempted to win an inch, within an inch of your faith. I would say to you, hold on, because that's where your greatest victory is. The Lord is with you. Lean on him. So he says, if you're afraid, go up and, go up and crawl up to the, crawl up to the, um, crawl up to the, the Midianite camp. They're down in the valley. He's up on the mountain. He crawls down. And so he gets up and says, Gideon crept up just as one man was telling his companion about a dream. And then on the side, he up. So Gideon is there. There's 135,000. There's loads of There's loads from there. And Gideon has to crawl up behind the camp. And he crawls up behind this conversation. And there's a conversation going on between two people. Do you know God is in charge of the timing of your life? Did yeah. you know that? Yeah, yeah. Because he crawls up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. Sometimes God's timing is absolutely incredible in our life. And we recognize it. Other times we don't recognize it. But it's not. It's no less incredible. God is still at work. So he crawls up and there's a conversation going on. And the conversation is fabulous. The man said, I had a dream. And in my dream a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the midnight camp. And it hit a tent and knocked it over. Flat. It hit a tent and turned it over and knocked it flat. And I love the response of his friend. And his companion answered, Your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite, the victory over Midian and all its allies. It can only mean one thing. Like, how can what? What do you mean it can only mean one thing? A roll of barley bread in the tent. Oh, come on, what? Seriously? You get, I mean, your dream could mean you had a bad burger last night. Your dream could mean that you had one glass of Chardonnay too many. Your dream could mean anything. Don't be paying too much attention. But it goes to show you what the psychology of the Midianites was. That even though they vastly outnumbered the Israelites, they were actually very afraid. He got a window into what they were thinking. 
They were frightened over their living daylights. Where some fella has a dopey dream. And the only interpretation for it is that we're going to be defeated in battle. Hello? Come on, seriously? But what I love about it is that Gideon is there when he hears this actual conversation take place. What does the scripture say? When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. I can just imagine him there on the edge of the camp. And he's already crawled up and he's listened to the conversation. And then he hears him and says, Oh dear, the Israelites are going to get us. There's 135,000. And then the Israelites are going to get us. And Gideon goes, Yes, Lord, we're going to win this victory. And he bows before God. I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but it's happened to me lots of times in my life. Where I just heard the voice of God and I knew God was at work. And the only thing that I could do was bow down and worship. Now we never did it in Patrick Street, just in case you're afraid. If you meet me inside in tongues somewhere, you know, and you're going to, Hi, hi Mike, how are you doing? I go, oh, I've got to worship now. I've never done it. There was, there was a guy years ago, I remember being inside. I was only a Christian about six weeks and I knew this guy. He was a bit of an eccentric Christian. A lovely guy, but he was a bit eccentric. And I was having a conversation with him. One day inside the city centre on the Grand Prix, this is nothing to do with nothing, no lands, okay? So I was in the middle of the conversation and he said to me, Oh, yes, Lord, I hear you. Just in the middle of our conversation, Oh, you're almost going Oh, yes, Lord, I hear you. And as I'm standing there on the Grand Parade, right? On the Grand Parade by the fountain, the guy gets down and he bows down. This is a long time before there was a lot of Muslims in Ireland, so people didn't suddenly stop at the time of prayer. And it was like, Oh, this feels not a little bit embarrassing. <laughs> I won't do it to you, but I have done it to you. I did it this week when I felt God speak to me. Sometimes our only response when we know that God is for us is to worship Him. Is to worship Him. Is to Lord, I recognize it. Hezekiah did it. Jehoshaphat did it. And no Gideon does it. They worship God. Joshua did it. They worship God when they knew that God was with them. And then he heads back to the camp, back to the 300 guys. And then he returned to the Israelite camp and he shouted, Get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. They'll get up, come on, lad, let's do it. Do you know the two things that are contagious? Fear is contagious. Courage is contagious too. It is very contagious. I tell you the thing that's more, the, the, the fear is more contagious than the coronavirus. That's when we become afraid and we pass on that fear to other people around us and we all end up semi-hysterical with fear and sometimes there's nothing to be afraid but fear itself. He gets back and says, come on lads, get up. The Lord has given us victory. Now as you can see, no sword has been drawn yet. No battle has been joined yet. Nothing specific has happened. He's just heard two fellas talking about a dream and he knows that God is going to be with them and give them the victory. There's just times in our lives, brothers and sisters, when we just know, isn't there? There's times when you just go, I just know. God spoke to me and I just know. And it doesn't mean that you don't somewhere along the lines have a wobbly or have a bit of a tremor about you. Did I really hear? We just know sometimes. And Gideon just absolutely knew. He just absolutely knew. Do you know? Do you know in your heart of hearts that God is for you? Yes. That God is going to give you the victory. Yes. That you are going to be an overcomer. That you're not going to end your days disappointed but victorious. Would anyone say amen? amen. amen. You know it. Take it into your hearts. And then the pace of the story picks up against the odds. He divided his 300 men, bear with me, into three groups and gave them each a ram's horn, a clay jar, and a torch. 
Sorry? Yeah, he gave them a ram's horn, a clay jar, and a torch. Any swords, did you know? Any arrows or like shields or you so you can like fight me. No, 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 take, 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 take them, take them. What are we supposed to do with the clear jar? Box them over the head with us? What are we supposed to do with this junk, Gideon? What on earth is going on? He gives him a ram's horn. Okay, what are we gonna do? Play the boogie woogie Google Guy Company B? What? Yeah, he says, just take them and do what I tell you to do. Onward it goes. Then he said to them, as soon as I and those with me blow their horns, blow your horns too, and all around the entire camp, and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. The story goes on. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly, they blew their ram's horns and they broke their clay jars. Smashed the jars, blew the horns. What happens? Hallelujah. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands. And then they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Now imagine it's midnight. Now it's midnight in the Middle East, which means it's probably been dark for about six hours at least. You were asleep in the camp. Everybody's kind of settled down for the night, even though there's a lot of, there's only a few people on duty. And suddenly, out of nothing, there's this blast of the ram's horn. Um, you know, sometimes I would hear it at night, I'd hear the train station. It, it, you know, I, I live a long way away from the train station, but I could even hear the horns of trains leaving at night. So in the night, things are very, very silent, very, very quiet. And they hear this blast of ram's horn, 300. That's my best impression, sorry, that's I'm trying to They blow the, the ram's horn, 300 of them blow simultaneously. And suddenly, 300 torches appear, and they surround the entire camp. And the, what's their one thought? Ah! We're going to get killed! That was their thought, because they were ambushed. Already their psychology was up against them. They were already nervous, and they were afraid, and they believed the evidence of their eyes instead of believing the evidence of the evidence. Do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes, brothers and sisters, we look at a situation and we believe what's in front of us instead of believing the God who is behind what's in front of us. Amen. Are you with me? Yes. And they look at the evidence and go, ah, it must be, there must be a huge gang on there. And he goes, each man stood in his position around the camp and watched as the Midianites rushed around in panic, shouting as they ran to escape. Can you imagine the sheer pandemonium of this camp? 135,000 people suddenly break out into camp, start roaring and shouting. And this I love that says, each man stood at his position around the camp and watched. They didn't have to pull out a sword or a shield. They didn't have to swing a fist. They didn't have to do anything. They just stood and watched as God did his work amongst the Midianites. Just stood there and watched them. He just stood there, just watched. And it's reflective of Exodus chapter 14, where the Lord, where Moses says to the people of Israel, he says, the lads, would you just stand still and see the deliverance of the Lord today? You don't have to do anything. And he said, the Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. Sometimes we just have to stand still and let God fight our battles for us. Amen. And that's fact, one of the biggest mistakes we make is we charge in and we fight our own battles. Not needed, not necessary, no way. Let God be your vindicator. What are you going to say? Let God be your vindicator. They rushed into the camp and then it goes on to say, Then the 300 Israelites blew the ram's horns. The Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other. 
I just love the idea that the two lads, um, Yishmael and Yarosh, let's call them, who were telling each other the dream a while ago, you had a fierce dream, suddenly they go, ah, it was you, and one of them stabs the other. What? They start to fight against each other. So was their psychology, so confused, so disastrously muddled were they, that they actually started killing each other. And because of God's intervention, this whole enemy hits the self-destruct button. The self-destruct. They suddenly turn on each other and kill each other. When God is at work, our enemies fight amongst them. Let, let, let your enemies fight each other. Amen. Let your enemies fight each other. You stay, you stay, stay on the side of you. Just watch. Just watch what God is doing. Just watch what God is doing. I love the idea. They run around and they're sticking swords into each other. And the 300 lads are standing there and they've got torches in their hands and they're going, oh, what? No, no, no one realizes. No one realizes what the torch and the jar and the whole routine was for. Pure psychology and military genius is what it was. Military genius. But God did it so many times in the Old Testament. I could be here all day lifting up scriptures and verses, but I want to give you just some very quick examples we already spoke about. The Israelites escaping, the Egyptians, a vast army. I love how that vast army was unarmed, or sorry, the, un the unarmed left Egypt unharmed because of God's deliverance in their lives. And do you know something? You don't have to be armed. All you need is God with you. You don't have to have all the arguments figured out. You don't have to have it all straight in your head. You don't have to have it all figured out at all. God is with you. Amen. King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, he's surrounded by his enemies and the prophet Zechariah comes to him and he's, this is what he says to him. He says, don't be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, the Lord says, for the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. Amen. The battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. If somebody comes against God's people, that's you, by the way, me, that's us, they are coming against the Lord himself. That's what they're doing. They're coming against God himself. And if I was, if I was them, I wouldn't be so quick to do that. Because most people who do that end up on the losing edge. And when King Jehoshaphat, when Zechariah comes to him, he says, don't be discouraged and don't be afraid of this vast army because the battle is not yours, it's the Lord. Do you know what Jehoshaphat did? He bowed down and he worshipped. He worshipped. And he knew a sword hadn't been lifted. And already he was the winner. And confusion broke out in the ranks as well. And that story, you can read it yourself. And I love that particularly my perhaps favorite story, but another time to go into it, is the story of King Hezekiah in 2 Kings 18 and 19. It's fantastic. The Assyrian army come and show up on his walls. And King Senhadid, the, the, the Assyrian king, sends his vassals. And they say to him, what are you doing? Listening to Hezekiah when he says, the Lord will deliver you. Who is the Lord? Who does this fellow think he is telling you the Lord is going to deliver you? And that is exactly what happens. It's one of the best stories in the Old Testament. With an act of fact, it's so good they played it twice. It's in 2 Kings 18 and 19 and Isaiah 36 and 37. If you want to be encouraged about how God moves incredibly, and in the end of that story, I have to say, at the end of that story, the prophet Isaiah prophesies, prophesies that Sennacherib himself would be struck down. And it says he returned home, and his two sons actually killed him. A drama, and I can't remember the other guy's name, killed him, and then they fled to the land of Aaron. Long story. You had to be there. But it's a great story. And how God delivered again against the odds when the, might, the, the mightiest empire in the world at the time surrounded their city. And yet God delivered them. Do you think God still does that? 
Yes. You think he still does? Really? Do you really think he does it? Yeah. You really think he does it first? Because I want to say something to you about the odds. Do you know something? There's a thing about the odds that we need to bear in mind, and that is this. We have already, just by being here and existing, have beaten the odds. Everyone in this room has already beaten the odds. Everyone in this building has already beaten the odds. Do you know what the odds against you are? Probably somewhere between 20 and 60 million to 1 that you would be the person who was born. You with me? 20 to 60 million to 1, depending on your poor old father. 20 to 60 million to 1. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Tom is doing a lesson on fertility in the birds and the bees after church in the courtyard cafe. It's a special Bible study, and he'll be doing he, his pictures and everything. It's amazing. <laughs> you are already a winner. Are you with me? You've already survived the odds of 20 to 60 million to one that you would be born, that you would even exist. You've already won. Brothers and sisters, can we take it into our heads and take it into our hearts and take it into our souls? If we believe God controls our destiny and he's already caused you to win a lottery of 20 to 60 million to one, what on earth were you born for? What was the purpose that he called you for? Why were you the one, out of all those millions of options, the one that was born? What on earth were you born for? Can I tell you what you were first born for? You were born to know God. Amen. You were born to know God. And if you don't know God, you need to know God. Because that was the primary purpose for which you were born. For which you were fashioned together in your mother's womb. You were the first, that was the first purpose for which this miracle happened. Do you know God, brothers and sisters? Because that's the purpose for which you were born. Can I ask you, would you bow your heads for a second? Yes, would you close your eyes and bow your heads, but just offer some privacy to people in the room. If you're here this morning and you don't know God, you say, look, I don't know God, but I really do want to know God. I really want to know Him. And you want to say, Lord, would you, would you reveal yourself to me? I want to know you today. If that's your prayer today, will you raise your hand with every eye closed? With every head bowed? But you know, isn't it wonderful? Everybody here knows the Lord. Amen. Do you know what? That's great. You can look after yourselves and finish the sermon. Do you want to read your Bible, son? If you know the Lord, are you like? Do you want to read your Bible? The second thing that you were born for was for a purpose. So he called you for something. You see, when we read the story of Gideon, when the angel originally appears to Gideon, he says, You mighty warrior. He says, Mighty warrior. And Gideon says, who's the mighty warrior? He says, the Lord is with you. And it's only when we get to the end of the story, when we see the jars and the horns and the torches. You see, the Lord didn't tell him to do that, jars and the horns and the torches. There's no direct conversation. There's no direct narrative telling us that story. That was Gideon's idea. It, that came from Gideon's creativity. That came from his ability. And it was clear that even though Gideon didn't recognize it himself, Gideon was a military genius. He knew exactly how to win a battle against 135,000 other warriors. 
He knew how to win a battle. He just didn't know it yet. You know something, brothers and sisters, there is something deposited in every one of our hearts, in every one of our souls. When we were being knit together in our mother's womb, there was a purpose that you were being knit together for. There's a purpose and there is a deposit of what God has put into you that you must make a return on. You must find that purpose. Do you know your purpose? Do you know why God called you? See the child in that womb over there? I'm going to pick your joy, forgive me. See the child in, the, in, in Joy's womb here? That child has already won the lottery. Hallelujah. Already won the lottery. For first one won the lottery. We've had fantastic parents. I mean that sincerely. Well, I was going to get to that. I agree with my parents and I agree with the laws and there's a number of sister-in-laws and cousins that are very good as well. And you know what I'm saying. But the child in that womb is being born for a purpose. Amen. It's being born for a purpose and is going to carry out that purpose. Amen. I said it to you last week. I see it to you again here. God's hand is upon the child in your womb. John, would you do me a favor? Just extend the hand towards Joy just for a moment. Just for a moment. Lord Jesus, we pray for joy. And the child in the womb, Lord God, we pray for this little girl to be born, Lord. We ask you that your blessing would rest upon the child in the womb, Lord. That as you spoke to me last week, Lord, that this child would leap in the womb like John the Baptist did. Lord, I pray that you would take hold of this child even now. The fear and the love and the honor of God would begin to grow in our tiny beating heart, Lord. Use her for a great purpose. Use her to speak of your name, of your glory, and of your greatness to her generation. We pray this in Jesus' name and God's people say, God bless you, Joe. God bless you. Sorry for picking you up. Sorry for picking you up. See, God goes against the odds. He went against the odds in my life. He went against the odds in my life. I remember a, a special saying to me, Mr. O'Donnell, he said, it's 99 to 1 against that you will ever have children. But God knew better. Amen. Hallelujah. I now have three children. Whoa. Three big hairy sons. Praise <laughs> the Lord. Hallelujah. Be careful what you wish for, brothers and sisters. <laughs> you know, it's a strange thing. I was actually thinking this morning about a dream I had when Elmer was pregnant with our first son. Uh, I had a dream one night. I told him the dream. I said, Joy, this very vivid dream last thing. I said, the beeper was going off in the oven. And I went down and she had a bun in the oven. And like the beaker was going off in the oven and I opened the oven and I took out and there inside in the oven was three roast chickens. And I said to her, I think we're going to have three kids. And I was right. Praise the Lord. Three big hairy chickens. They kill me when I go home. I'm dead. I'm dead. You know God loves to defeat the odds in your life. He loves to defeat the odds. He loves to show himself through against the odds in your life. And he will do it. Look at what this, there's a backslidden king called Solomon. And he wrote a book called Ecclesiastes in the Bible. He also wrote a lot of the Proverbs in the Bible. And in that story, he, in that in, in Proverbs chapter 9, he makes an interesting comment that for me has been a great joy and a great comfort and a realization of God's purpose. But you might go, why? When you read it, because this is what he says. Another thing I've noticed, he said, the fastest runner doesn't always win the race. The strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. Would anyone say amen? amen? The skillful are not necessarily wealthy, and those who are educated don't always live successful lives. This season, I've noticed this. I've looked at the world, and this is the reality. I noticed that the runners who are the fastest, they don't always win the race. When my kids were small, when they were going to swimming galas and running in school sports, I used to say to them, I said to them loads of times, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle 
to the strong. You can't assume that you're going to lose because the other guy is faster. Yeah. God is with you. Amen. That's all. And you know what I want to say to you today? Is there someone in your life who's faster than you? Is there someone in your life who always gets there before you? Somebody who's just quicker minded than you? It doesn't mean that they're going to win the race because God is with you. Would anyone say amen? Is there someone who's stronger than you? A brother? A boss? A husband? A wife? Who's stronger than you? They don't always win the battle. Would anyone say amen? People who are in your life and they may appear very strong. Your boss or your landlord, or some relative of yours, you can fill it in, your lecturers, your teachers, stick it in, put it in, fill in the blanks, the person who in your life seems stronger than you, but God is with you, and that's the difference. You see, like I said, the odds do not determine the outcome, they only predict the outcome. God determines the outcome. I love this. Those who are educated don't always live successful lives. I've known people that could wallpaper this room with degrees and their lives weren't successful. Yeah. And they take great comfort in it because when it came to education, I was dumb as a ditch. Tick out. Tick as a brick. Or as, as Homer Simpson's dad said to him, boy, you're as dumb as a mule and twice as ugly. <laughs> if a stranger offers you a lift, I say take it. I find it funny. I'm enjoying myself here. Are you? I'm great. We have you over the stage. But then he goes on to say this. It's not about the odds, because he says this. He said, it's all decided by chance. This backs in. It's all decided by chance. Being in the right place at the right time. Oh, hallelujah. Because my God's timing is perfect. And his sense of place is even better. It's perfect. And they put in the only that's Ecclesiastes in the Luke. See, see Acts 17, 26. You can look it up yourself. This is Paul, the Christian preacher, preaching to the Athenian unbelievers. And this is what he says. He says, from one man he made every man. And God determines the times and places where people should live. So it's not chance. It's God who determines it for his people. Would anyone say amen? What does the what does the psalmist says? He says in Psalm 31, my times are in your hands. What does it say in Proverbs chapter 3? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. God is in control. But I tell you, I'll go one better. Time and place is so important. And I can tell you this. Do you know something? Of all the places you were meant to be, Tom said it this morning, from all of eternity, you were intended to be here, living through these times, wearing a mask, looking like a bank robber or a surgeon, take your pick. Most of us would be surgeons, but the truth is you look like a bank robber. But looking like this, most of us, we, we were determined to live through this. But I'll go one better. God determined that this is the place that you would be during that. And in all fairness, God has multifold blessed you because you're in Ireland. You went better. You got the lava bonus because you live in Cockboy. And what's us doing it? <laughs> this afternoon, I went into a. This guy went for a 
and interviewing NASA. And they go behind the counter and say, behind the counter, behind the table. Said, so, what is it that you bring to the table? He said, uh, he said do you, are you a physicist? He said, no, no, no. He says, have you got a degree in biology? No, 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 no. Astrophysics? No, no, no. Metaphysics? No, 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 no. What is it that you bring to the table? Oh, you from cough, what? Isn't that enough, you? You are in the cream of Ireland. I think we close in prayer. Do you know something? What God does in great lives, in big lives, in great wars, in great armies, and for great kings, he does in small individual yeah. lives like yours and mine, brothers yeah. and sisters. Yeah. He does it in little lives like yours and mine. And our lives are small to us, but my God, does God delight in the small detail in our lives? Brothers and sisters, it's all about the detail. It's all about the detail in your lives. I love this one. Abraham, he's probably one of my favorite fellows in the Bible. I guess maybe I can relate to him in some way or other, not because of his faith or that, but maybe his life experience. But Abraham, this is what it says in Romans chapter 4 about Abraham in the Passion Translation. Against all the odds, when it looked hopeless, Abraham believed the promise and expected God to fulfill it. Are you expecting God to fulfill his promise? Yeah. Are you taking God at his word? Yeah. That's the question. When he says, I will feed you, I will care for you, I will watch over you. Do you take him at his word? Yeah. Have you got a precious promise? I will bring that person into your life. You will have children. Whatever that promise is. Are you holding on to it? Are you believing yeah. that word? Abraham believed it. And it was against all the odds. Poor Abraham. He was big. He was in his 90s. And so was his wife in her 90s. And he said, I think we should have a baby. She said, what? I was at Tom's workshop. I know that thing. <laughs> anyway. He can do it in individual lives. Can he do it in your life? Yes. Yes. Can he do it in your life? Yes. Do you know what? When God is for you, no one can be against you. And Paul says just as much to the Roman Christians who were going through all sorts of trials and difficulties and facing all sorts of opposition. He said, listen, what we say about such wonderful things as these talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? It's a rhetorical question. If God is for us, Duh, no one can be against us because if God is for you, that ends it. And no matter whether the odds against you are 135,000 to 1 or 135 million to 1 or 135 billion to 1, if God is for you, who can be against you? Can you see God's promises come to pass? In your life. Will you stand with me? We're going to worship God. Sophia, would you mind coming up now? We're going to sing the song, Our God. I want to put one last verse before we do because God not only delights to do what is improbable, He also delights to do the impossible. He loves to do the impossible. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus looked at his disciples then and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Hallelujah. Do you believe it? Yes. Okay, we're going to say it together. I want you to say it because I want you to take it into your heart. Because these are Jesus' words. Now Jesus said it, as one preacher said, I'm tend to be inclined to agree with him. So here's what he said. He said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. We're going to say it together. The book with God all things are possible on the count of three. If you want to say it with all of your heart, would you raise your hands as we say it? We're going to read it together. 
Lord, hear our prayer. Hear our desire, Lord, to have our faith strengthened and lifted. With man, this is impossible. One, two, three. But with God, all things are possible. Hallelujah. All things are possible with God. Have you got enough? Have you got a situation you're facing? If that's your experience today, you're facing incredible odds, you're facing a difficult situation, you're facing someone who's faster or stronger or swifter or better educated than you, well, the Lord is with you. If that's your situation today, I'm going to ask you, well, let's close our eyes. Will you raise your hands if that's your situation and say, Lord, I face my unresolved issue. I bring before you the knot that is tied for me. I face, I bring before you, Lord, this rock that I cannot break, this issue that I cannot sort out. We're going to pray for that. In just a moment, we're going to pray. I'm also going to pray today for everybody who wants to say, Lord, would you reveal to me and use me in the purpose for which you've called me? If that's your prayer, would you raise your hands as well? We're going to pray. We're going to pray. And then the band are going to play. I'm going to pray because my time is up and I want us to pray and then we can sing a worship song and close. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you, Lord, that everybody inside in this hall, in the atrium, downstairs, Lord, in the cafe church, even though it's tribe, Lord, and all of those outside on Facebook and Instagram, Lord, every person represents a miracle of the odds against our being born. And for every one of the people that is here today, Lord Jesus, you brought us into this world for a purpose, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that not only, Lord, would we come to know you better, know you more, and even for those, Lord, who were too shy to put up their hands today, Lord, I pray, Lord, you would show yourself to them, Lord God. I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that you would show us the purpose for which you call us, Lord. Help us to walk in that purpose, Lord, because as one man said, when you've got a why, it doesn't matter what the what is. Lord, give us that purpose, Lord, the purpose for which you call us, Lord. I pray, Lord Jesus, that every one of us would realize, Lord, that we would see, Lord, our value in your eyes, Lord. You chose us out of one to fifty million, Lord. You chose us and called us, Lord. Would you reveal your purpose for our lives? In our lives this week, we pray in Jesus' name. And I want to pray, Lord, for those who face incredible odds, Lord, who face difficult and unresolvable issues, people who face knots that cannot be untied, Lord, people who face people who are stronger than them, faster than them, more educated than them, more skillful than them. Lord, I pray for everybody, Lord, who's facing a situation right now, Lord, that they would look to the God who defies the odds in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray this week that they would see breakthrough, Lord. They would see the first unraveling of a difficult situation. They will see and feel and sense the first breakthrough, Lord. I pray the response of your people this week, Lord, will be deep and profound worship for the goodness of God, Lord. May we be like Abraham and Gideon and Hezekiah and Jehoshaphat, seeing breakthroughs in our lives, Lord, which were un imaginable. Would you watch over us, Lord, this coming week? Lord, go before us and reveal yourself to us in brand new ways this coming week. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up the light of his countenance and give you his peace in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people say, Amen. God bless you, brothers and sisters. The guys are going to play the song, Our God, as we go out. They're going to play the song, but we're going to serve coffee and tea downstairs in the Courtyard Cafe. If you go downstairs, just take a chair and it will be brought to you.